Life Audio. When you think about the church, and I know that's a big category, covers a lot of different types of churches, but when you think about the church, what comes to mind? Really, that depends on your background and your personal connection to or relationship with faith. But there might be a lot of things that pop up into your mind, and yet historically we know that in addition to an understanding of God and who God is and how God works in our lives and what faith should drive us to do, the church has often, as a community of believers, as a community of faith people, gotten involved in the community around them. So often at difficult times in history, we have seen the church step in and do what many people outside of the church would not uh, this is a fascinating area of history that so often, particularly right now, we pass over. And today on the March or Die show, we are going to spend a few minutes with a great guest talking about the church, and specifically the church in history. Looking forward to talking about that in just a few moments. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolf. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Hello and welcome to the March or Die show today. Very glad to have you joining me and looking forward to a fascinating conversation with a great guest. We'll get into that in just a second. Before we get into our conversation today, though, I would ask you to please, if you're not yet subscribed to this podcast, go ahead and do that. Subscribe right now, wherever it is you are listening from, and then share this content out with others. That would be fantastic. If you'd like to uh, get more information on the podcast, on me, on the work that I am involved in, go and check out jeremystonlicker.com, jeremystonlicker.com. That would be fantastic. Don't want to spend more time on that because I want to get to our guest today. Um, we talk about moving forward. We talk about what it looks like to move forward. And the conversation about moving forward is only necessary <laughs> because there are difficult times in life. There are times in life where moving forward is hard and we need help moving forward. We need help dealing with whatever's going on in our lives. And uh, man, the faith community is so important to that. 
I've talked about this over and over and over again. If you want to move forward in your life to march when it would be easier to stay where you are and die, to put one foot in front of the other and keep making progress in spite of what's happening in your life, in spite of globally what's happening or in your own country what's happening, in your own community, in your family, in spite of those areas, what what may be happening, tra- uh, tragedy or difficulty, um, friction certainly, you want to keep moving forward, you need to have the right people in your life. You need to have community. Historically, that community has come from families. It's come from those neighbors that you are around, and it has come from the church. I have an incredible guest on today. My guest today is uh, Steve Guerra. Steve is a teacher, um, a historian, and uh, I love speaking to historians. Uh, One of my favorite things to do because they seem to have a grounding (laughs) when it comes to the craziness of life around us. But he is also the host of a couple of different podcasts. One of those is the history of the papacy. He talks about uh, church history, particularly focused on uh, the Roman Catholic Church. Spends a lot of time talking about that. And uh, again, the history uh, of the church, that is the state church, the papacy, it impacts people of faith on both sides of that discussion. We'll talk about that a little bit today as well. Then he has another fascinating podcast. It's fantastic. It's called Beyond the Big Screen. And uh, he talks about this a little bit at the end of our interview. But go and check those out. You can find both of those on a to z com. We'll mention this again. But a to z com, hosted on the Parthenon Podcast Network. And uh, I'd encourage you to go and check those out. But you get two without going and checking those out. Listen to a great conversation, an incredible interview today with my guest, Steve Guerra. Steve, thank you for joining me. Really appreciate you making this work. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Let's uh, let's start by getting some of your background. Um, I am all, always fascinated by where people come from and particularly those who are uh, really focused on history and historical events and making application to today. Um, just tell us your story and how you kind of got into all of this, why this is of interest to you. I um, I always was interested in history and probably it was around 2012. I had stumbled into church history. Uh, part of it was kind of my religious background that kind of went from having none to getting introduced into Christianity. And I started yeah. reading all of this stuff and I just kind of wanted to process it. And then I had also, um, got into the nascent history podcasting community at that time and uh, connected with a couple of other podcasters. And I was like, well, I can do this too. Uh, You know, combining my interest in history and then this uh, new technology that was, it wasn't exactly new, but uh, you know, it had really started to pick up in that early 20 teens. And I loved combining both of those ideas of tinkering with all this technology and my love of research and writing and reading, and they just kind of smashed yeah. together. How, how does one come into a love of research, writing, and reading? I have uh, college-age kids, and they would run away from what you just said, <laughs> what you just said, the love of those things. I think I didn't really have it in college. I would uh, I would probably be on their side with that. I think it's something that you, you get the flame for in college, but yeah. when you don't have to do it for grades and professors and yeah, all yeah. that stuff, it, 
I think you, if you have that in you, it gets kind of quashed in college, but you can <laughs> get it back later. Yeah. Um, talk a little bit more, if you wouldn't mind, about uh, your faith journey. Um, again, fascinating people coming into kind of an understanding of faith or um, a foundation of faith in their own life as adults later on in life. Can you talk about that a little bit? I guess it, um, it just came out of nowhere for me, and it was nothing I would have ever expected to have found. But um, it was ju it just, I fell into it, and the next thing I know, I'm going to church regularly. Yeah. And I think, uh, I think it kind of finds you when mm -hmm. you're ready for it, maybe. Was there a catalyst or a person or events that kind of pushed you into that? It was all of a... Um, <clears throat> Um, my wife had a project that she had to do uh interview somebody for and she uh there was a ch church right around the corner and it was the most convenient place to go and we yeah. showed up there and yeah. it just it kind of stuck yeah wow um so we're at a an interesting time in church history i i would say and and certainly um want to hear your perspective on this but our moment in church history is a time where uh, I think most Americans at least are identifying as they call them the nuns, right? Those who, uh, they're not for faith. They're not against faith. <laughs> they don't love or hate God. They don't have much of an opinion on God and faith in the church. Uh, what has brought us to this place? I, I, I have an opinion about that. So I pastored a church. I have been involved in church work. You, you know, my dad started a church when I was a kid. So I've been around church my entire life. This has been a big focus of my life. And, and in many ways, it feels like the church has lost its influence, particularly here in the West. Um, I know there are places where that's not the case, but here in the West, that seems to be the case. And yet we come from a place where we talk about our Christian foundations or being a Christian nation, you know, all of these, these things that we talk about. And I think historically, we can see that we definitely have a Christian foundation or at least a perspective of faith that helped to found our nation what has brought us to this place where fewer people are identifying as even religious, which is a huge category, right? I mean, we could we could bring that down to something very fine, but it's a huge category. What's brought us to this place? Uh, let's let's speak specifically to here in the West, here in the United States. I think it's a really, really long trend that's just been going. I mean, really, and if you go all the way back to the French Revolution and the Enlightenment, that religion, the the whole idea of the separation of church and state would have been really shocking to people yeah. before that time and just yeah. religion in general. And I think as we've started to separate religion from society, we're naturally going to get this idea that at some point religion just doesn't really matter. I mean, if you look back to the Romans with their, uh, with their paganism, it was completely tied in with the state and who they were. And then Christianity comes along and, it becomes that becomes like the center portion of their lives and that's how things roll for a couple of th uh, yeah. thousand years and then we get into this whole idea that maybe religion doesn't have to be the central part of people's lives and you see it with all sorts of religions it's not it's not even just christianity when this whole idea that those ideas your secular life, you might say, in your religious life, once they're separated, it kind of put one of them is going to suffer. Why do people choose to allow their 
religious life to suffer. This is something that's, you know, it's very confusing to me because I've, uh, again, this is part of who I am in that I've grown up in this, and this has been a part of my thought since I was old enough to have thoughts, I guess. Um, but the, the, the decision that people make to separate their faith life from the rest of their life, I, I I don't agree with that personally. I think that they should be intertwined. In fact, I believe that what you believe about God and the position of faith that you hold, it does impact the rest of your life, whether you want to acknowledge that or not. But people try to separate that out, and yet they trend toward or move toward, if they have to choose one or the other, culture and society and all of these other things that don't have an eternal component to them. Uh, why is it that people make that decision? And, and again, we're at a place where a lot of people are making that decision. I wonder if it's kind of it's easier in a way that, um, and, and there's so many things pulling people towards on Sunday. You can get up early, go to church, or you can sleep in and watch football yeah, right, all day right. long. And right. in a lot of ways, there's well even for a lot of people getting up early on sunday to take their kids to soccer there's or the or their hockey games yeah it seems like there's more invested in that than there is at church you show up on sunday kind of bored yeah. and then you run out at 11 o'clock to yeah. go to watch football or something that people seem more invested in those other activities yeah. than they are in church. And I don't know if that's the church leadership and uh, along with people, like there's just not the, the investment in it. Yeah. yeah it seems like uh, even churches have made allowance for that. We're coming on Christmas and it, you know, this is again, fascinating to see how people argue about whether or not you should go to church on Christmas and some faith traditions that is more, um, you know, more common every year they would have a service on Christmas, but Christmas falling on Sunday this year, churches saying, Hey, why don't you stay home with your family? And why don't you do this and that? And there's nothing wrong with those things, obviously, but it does communicate that other areas of your life perhaps are more important than church and faith and celebrating the birth, the birth of our savior. Yeah, absolutely. I would, I would agree with that. And I would agree too, that it's, um, they're probably just so many different things that have come into our our world, so to speak, that um, can rep can just push religion to the side, and people just have more uh, faith. Might not be the right uh, word, but investment mm -hmm. in all these other things, and you have a million options and religion just doesn't seem to ri rise to the top yeah. for people. Yeah. Um, one of the areas, and this is what you and I had, um, what we came on to talk about is how the church has impacted culture, but particularly impacted communities during times of struggle. And I, I think one of the areas that we're going to suffer down the road, if the trends of uh, people moving away from church and church life and church community life if that continues, one of the areas we're going to suffer is in the church's ability, and church is a very large, again, <laughs> that encompasses a lot, right? But the church's ability to impact and help people when times of difficulty come along. Um, but this is something that the church has always done, and particularly the church in the West. We look at uh, philanthropy, we look at giving, we look at care and communities, and although people would try to say this is not the case, uh, we know it is. We we have the numbers. The research has been done. There are 
a lot of data points going back many, many years about how church communities have certainly ministered in their own community to the homeless, to the poor, to the hurting, um, and then given money to go to places around the world through missions efforts and other efforts. Um, and, and this is this is an area we just pass over, and it's so sad that we do because it's, it's significant. Uh, governments fail in a lot of areas. One of those areas is philanthropy and care <laughs> and management of that care, and yet the church is traditionally rushed into those places in those times where there has been hurting, there has been difficulty, and there has been trial. Um, you spend so much time thinking about, studying, talking about the church. Uh, can we talk about that for a few minutes? And, and that was uh, when you and I started talking about having this conversation, um, something I'm very interested in, and, and I definitely wanted to get your perspective on that. How has the church historically moved into these times and communities where people have been hurting? I think a great um, one story, at least, is at the fall of the Roman Empire in the West, that there wasn't a government anymore in so many places. And it, for the most part, the government really didn't provide any of those services that philanthropy and uh, poor relief. And then the church is the only institution really left that has any sort of strength to step in there and they're the ones who set up food for the food for the poor and just very basics of society and i think you see along the way that the church was always in conjunction with the the secular states the one that provided that that social safety net and i think as we moved forward from the idea of the enlightenment of the separation of church and state. It became more and more the idea that the government was going to be the one, the secular government was going to be the one that would provide those things. And the church was even like a more of a fallback instead of the real provider of, of those things. And I think in a way church was always, uh, uh, and a lot of people are talking about this today, that the church was the one that really formed a community. In a lot of ways, how much community do people have yeah. in regular suburban America yeah. today? Yeah. They don't really have any community people. And it's not like I'm some great uh, saint. I do the same thing. You go home from work, you drive into your <laughs> right. uh, garage, you yeah, go yeah. in, and then tomorrow morning for work, you drive out. And it's even more so now that a lot of people don't even drive into their garage. You know, they're in their office yeah. all day. Day long and they just don't have any other community besides that their community's not coming from the uh their soccer little league or their baseball yeah. little league there's yeah. just no real way to connect with other people what's the downside of that so we we identify that as a problem what is the consequence of that I think the consequence is really when times get tough and it could be tough like really tough of um, if there's a breakdown in some sort of society where there's no food. It could also just be when you don't have family around and you don't have any sort of community and you get sick, who's going to help you out? And it's that's hard for the civil government to provide those sort of things. But when you have a real community, neighbors and people who could bring you meals if you're you're sick. I mean, I think there's so many different areas that when you don't have a, people to fall back on 
and you don't have the civil government, it's really difficult for them to do that as well. That's where you get the breakdown and we have to see what forms, if, is the church going to step up? Is something yeah. else going to step up? I think we have to see what, what happens with that. I have uh, been reading a great book uh, recently, and um, in the book, the author goes back and he talks about uh, several different areas that the church has gotten involved in <clears throat> whatever is happening in the world at the time. And one of the stories that he spends a lot of time on, or one of the events that he spends a lot of time on, is the Black Plague. As you have millions of people around the world dying at a time where there's not good health care, and there's kind of this weird idea that maybe, you know, it's not just um, a virus or a plague. Maybe there's something else going on and we don't know what's happening and why are these people dying? And normal people would do everything they could to stay away, to keep their families far away. And yet the churches, local church parishes and communities, um, you had, you know, pastors, um, parishioners, in the Catholic Church, you had priests and nuns and people of faith who would go and minister, understanding that the cost was probably going to be their lives. Um, and it's fascinating to see that that the driver was not self-preservation, but the driver was, how can I serve other people? And And that's what the church does that the government just can't do. Yeah, I think that you see it in a certain aspect with people who are the first responders sure, and the, sure. that um, the military, that when they go into a uh, disaster zone, that, uh, yeah, sure, they're getting paid for it, but th there's something more of a drive for people mm. to stay there than just, um, you know, just because it's a paycheck for them. Yeah. I wonder uh, if... if is that but is that that we have that set up is that tamping down regular people from going in and doing that sort of work too yeah yeah well and you know i i've served in the military have a lot of first responders in my life and people that i know and i, I love and i'm thankful for them and I, I do believe that they're doing it there is this idea of serving something bigger than yourself there's also a pervading thought that you can get involved in whatever you're doing and not be impacted by, <laughs> by it. So there's two, there's the two sides of it, right? And your brain kind of argues back and forth. Um, but when you're going into a situation and you know that the cost will probably be your life and yet you do that anyhow, uh, what is it about faith and Christianity that drives people or historically has driven people into those places where they know, I don't have to do this, but I'm going to do it, and, and this may be it for me. I think that it really has to come down to that there's something bigger than you. Yeah. And that's serving somebody else and for doing this thing that, like you said, could probably end up in in your own demise is worth it more than your own life. Yeah. And there's very few things that provide that. I mean, some people do it for country, but... I think that only goes so far yeah, right, that there has right. to be something, I guess, transcendental yeah, that right. that drives you beyond that. If you're doing it for your family or your community or mm. something or it, God, something that drives you to do that more than just um, either some sense of duty through paycheck or through even this. I think 
you start getting country becomes as nebulous as God in a way, I think, because country is such a big idea. And it is kind of a big idea like God. I don't know. And as somebody who has served, what do you think about that? When you went into dangerous yeah. situations, I'm turning the microphone around yeah, yeah. here. But <laughs> well, and that's a good question. And this is why I think in a lot of ways, I, I as a Christian and one who values history and historical perspective, I um, struggle is not the right word, but I definitely have some friction in my brain about why people do the things that they do. Um, serving in the military, I think a lot of people go into the military saying, I'm going into this because I want to be a part of something bigger than myself. And a lot of people that go into the military, not everyone, but a lot of people come from a, a place where they didn't have community and they didn't have, you know, that something bigger. And so they want to be a part of that. I, I will tell you, though, that at least for you know, the American military members that I've served with when I was in Iraq, when I was in combat, um, and, and everyone's heard this, but it's so true. Uh, in the midst of a firefight, in the midst of, you know, combat, everything boils down to um, the person on the left and the right of you. <laughs> it's not about country anymore, uh, not in that moment. It's, it's about doing what needs to be done for those that you're serving with. And even when we see these great heroic acts that we honor and we should honor, uh, those are acts not really for country's sake, but for the sake of doing what you need to do to stand in the gap, to preserve, to defend whatever the life of the people that you're serving with. And so I think the transcendence there is it's getting outside of myself and realizing that other people's lives do matter. And so the driver is not as simple, I don't think, as we sometimes think it is. You know, it's, it's patriotism, it's love of country and those things. That may be what causes people to take the first steps, to get involved in what they're doing, to continue even uh, over the course of a career. But in the moments of great conflict where there's actual danger of physical harm or death, uh, I think the thing that drives people forward is, <clears throat> even beyond their own self-preservation, is the ability to, to stand in the gap for other people. And, and, and that's where, you know, there is that transcendence because it's bigger than me or what's going on right now. And I think that that's really, if you look at all these instances of church history where it really has stepped into the gap to provide that uh, cohesion, it's really a locale. It's local because mm -hmm. you can find a lot that's of examples good. where yep. the church has fallen and not provided it. But in other situations where it really has, and probably more than more times that it has than it hasn't, that it's provided the glue, and it really comes from a from locality to that's locality. Good. Man, that's that's such an important point. It, it's interesting too when you think about church history. Um, often, when we talk about church history, I, I'm I'm not Catholic. I don't come from the Catholic faith. So when I think about church history, I think about all of those Christian congregations that were outside of the state church, particularly during the time of the Reformation. Um, but you're right. Those were congregations that were really unaffected by what was happening in the larger polity of the Roman church. There were so many congregations that were meeting, ministering, serving, studying, and teaching the Bible, praying together, uh, completely outside of a governing body that was telling people they need to do this or that and it, it really does come down to the location and knowing the people that they're serving that's important too um, I think we've lost some of that in you know kind of the megachurch movement where pastors ministers 
don't necessarily know, not on a personal level, the people that they're serving. And that has an impact. Yeah, I think that that as as church organizations, when you saw it, when they went from small to really big and they lost that personal touch between the leadership and the laity, that that's when when things went most off the rails. Mm. And I think that the probably the in a way, maybe the mega church is a good example today that, you know, I am don't know the ins and outs of that, but some of the things that I've read and a lot of the problems do seem to come that the, between the leadership and the people that they're trying to build up these uh, connections, but it's just too big of an organization to tie everybody together. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. Um, I wonder how much of the lack of religious identification, faith identification, the lack of the influence of the church in the United States um, has come as a result of, of the megachurch movement. I guess we won't know. And what's fascinating about that is it's counterintuitive. It seems like if you can get more people into the building, that means more people <laughs> care about what's happening. Um, and a lot of trends, uh, you know, George Barna, the pollster, and others have, have demonstrated that even as megachurches get bigger, Small churches get smaller, and so it's really a migration. It's not an adding. It's a, it's a moving of people into a place where there are better programs for their kids and better you know events for themselves, but they lack the personal connection at that point. Uh, fascinating. Before we go, I'd love to have a discussion briefly about just the importance of studying history. Um, uh, I had Josh Cohen on, who you know, and uh, we talked about this a little bit, and, and he's, he's awesome. Um, History is so important. I try to make this point as often as possible, again, with my kids, with anyone else that I could talk to, because we cannot evaluate what's happening in our present world right now. We can't even have conversations like this one. I wonder how this is impacting that or why this is happening. You can't have those conversations if you don't have some historical perspective. Um, Why is it important for us to study history, number one? And what should we be looking for when we study history? The study of history is different than having a fascination with what's happened in the past in, in, in forms uh, in the form of entertainment or something. Uh, why is it important to study, and what should we be looking for? That's a great question. I think it really depends. Like I um, teach younger kids, and I think that getting them interested and excited that there's these stories that people who lived thousands of years ago, hundreds of years ago. They're really us, and mm. no matter the technology might be different, the the situation, a lot of the situation might be different, but they're people who are confronted with really difficult challenges, yeah. and what did they do to confront those challenges? And to me, I think that that is really the most fascinating thing is to just, it gets us into the mindset that in a lot of ways, nothing is new under the sun, right. that the things that we're facing today are not dramatically different. They may seem worse, but there's been worse, there's been better. But people are, in a lot of ways, the same in the way they approach these problems and and the good things that they had in life, that we can we can learn from that by learning their stories. And I think that's, in a lot of ways, what I respect what uh, Josh is doing, Josh Cohen is let people tell yep. their stories because we can learn so much from people's individual stories. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's good. It, Josh and I talked about that, and that was one of the points that I made to him was his his view of history is different because he's not saying, let me tell you what happened. He He's inter- interviewing the people that lived it and experienced it and is getting that firsthand account, um, which, which is fascinating. I think we've lost a lot of that respect for – uh, our older generation, that's just something I think we're losing and we need to get back. Um, I, I've been amused, I guess is the right word, as we've come through the pandemic and these other issues that we've dealt with over the last couple of years, how people will use that phrase, unprecedented times. We're going through unprecedented times. Everyone's talking about <laughs> unprecedented times. It's not that unprecedented, but no. you have to read a book. Like You have to yeah. go back and learn like – it, we, we've been through this. Technology is different. Things are different, but it's certainly not unprecedented. And, and there's a lot of hope that comes from knowing what has happened in the past. Yeah. And there's I mean, there's been times where things have been really, really bad. I think I've always been fascinated with um, times that are good, good, good. And then they drop off the cliff. Like a lot of people, oh, the yeah. Roman empire collapsed in 476. Well, in 476, people really wouldn't have, it wouldn't have been a huge difference from them living from 476 right. to 477. Right, right, right. But a couple of years later in the 500s, those same people would have known like something went really bad mm. here and studying why those things went really bad in just a short amount of time. It, it, that is really what's fascinating to me. Uh, even as, uh, if you look at the Reformation, I think that Luther nailing up the 99 theses, people would have said, eh, you know, that's an academic, putting up an academic treatise, and nobody would have really cared. But a couple of years later, yeah. people would have definitely known, yeah. hey, something really changed here. Yeah. And I think those are the times in history that I think are so fascinating is when people realize like, whoa, something really big did happen here. Steve, it seems like people look at history with one of two perspectives, maybe three. They could look at it as entertaining or, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. Let's dismiss that. <laughs> the two responses people typically have, it seems, are one of regret because of what used to be and this like reaching back and trying to remake what was. So that's one thing. And, you know, we could spend a whole show talking about conspiracy and conspiracy theories and conspiracy theorists. But I think that's where a lot of that comes from is people need to have a reason that things have changed and try to figure out how to get back there. Right. So there's this broken heartedness over what was the, the other response that people tend to have is a grounding because we understand it's going to be OK. It'll be different. It's going to look different. Um, we'll never get back there, but it's going to be okay. We're going to make it. Uh, how how does a person do that where they're grounded in history instead of having that response, that emotional response of regret and, you know, the world is falling apart and we might as well quit? I read a really interesting book, and it was by an artist, not even a historian. And he uh, discussed the difference between traditionalism and conservatism. And conservatism, this idea of locking everything in and that everything has to be the same. But obviously things change. And I think that's where he defined traditionalism as using the past 
and using what we know, things have changed. There's new technology every day. There's new uh, social structures. How can we apply what we knew was good in the past to, yeah. and apply to what's good now? So it kind of it's weaving the weaving through the the march of history, and that we're in constant progress against saying that well the past was perfect and we need to always go back there obviously there's something wrong with both of that those ideas and we have to try and figure out something in between take what's good from the past and yep. what's good from yep. progress and kind of meld those two together yeah that's great steve uh great conversation thank you so much for having it uh where can people listen to your podcast and i'll, I'll put all this in our, our show notes of course but where can people listen to your podcast, follow you, and uh, learn more about the great work that you're doing? Uh, you can find me at my website, and you can find the links to subscribe and listen at my website, a2zhistorypage.com, a-t-o-z-historypage.com. That's a great place, Parthenon Podcast. Yep network.com where um, you can find out all the other great history shows on the Parthenon podcast network. Uh, and then uh, if you just search for beyond the big screen and, and or history of the papacy podcast on Apple podcasts and all the other podcatchers of your choice, you'll find that uh, Spotify, all of those great places. Uh, can, can you talk about uh, just real quick? I, I know that I said that was the last thing. I think I've, like three times I've said, this is the last thing, but I keep going back. Um, <laughs> The the other podcast that you do the um, behind the big screen, beyond the big beyond screen. the big screen. Sorry, yeah. talk about oh, that no, one no. real quick. That that's a really interesting podcast. Talk about that one real quick. I talk with guests about the the real history, background, context of movies, and sometimes it's not even uh, history movies. <clears throat> a lot of times we'll talk about sci fi, and it's just what do these movies really mean mm. and what are some different ways to really look at these pieces of art that people are creating and how do they impact our lives uh what are some different ways to watch the movie and approach the movie uh it's a really interesting conversation and a lot of times we'll even go off and uh not even talk about the movie, but just yeah. the, the ideas that this, the movie and the filmmaker have sparked. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. They're both, uh, both fantastic, super well-researched and well done. Steve, thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. And, uh, oh, it's my pleasure. Thank we'll, you. Uh, we'll do it again. I so appreciate that perspective, uh, on the church and history and why we need to know what has gone on in the past. I, I, I struggle so much with those who are in kind of a moment of panic all of the time. There are people who live this way. Maybe you're one of those people just in, in panic. I, I don't know what's going on. I don't know why it's happening. Uh, this has never happened before. I don't know what we're going to do. I, I, I get the pressure of life. I get the pressure of what's going on in our world. Um, I feel bad about so much of it as well. And I look to the future and wonder how it's all going to work out. But taking a moment to look to the past, not to live there, but to learn from what has happened, from those who have gone before us, that can be incredibly grounding. It can be something we can tie to and something we can learn from, uh, specifically related to the church and the faith community, how the church has historically been so involved in the communities around them, 
we need to get back to that. We need to answer some questions there and figure some things out. But we have a model. We have something to look back to and to understand. And uh, very, very grateful for uh, Steve and his very thoughtful ability to break these uh, big, big issues down into uh, questions that we can examine together and uh, very thankful for that. Please take some time, go and uh, listen to both of Steve's podcasts, Fantastic, History of the Papacy, and the other one, Beyond the Big Screen. You can find those on the Parthenon Podcast Network or on A to Z History Podcast. Go and check those out. That would be fantastic. And then when you get done with that, go over to Life Audio, lifeaudio.com. Some incredible podcasts there. Um, I am on uh, lifeaudio.com, and I'm grateful to be there. I'll tell you one of the reasons I'm happy to be there is because the other podcasts are fantastic. <laughs> They're great. If you are looking for a podcast on how to study the Bible or uh, parenting or marriage or whatever, any issue that is of importance to to you as a person of faith, uh, you can find a podcast that deals with that, addresses that on lifeaudio.com. So please go and check that out. And I look forward to talking to you the next time we are together. Many of our veterans feel they need to fight their battles alone. This self-isolation has led to the staggering statistic of more than 20 veterans taking their lives every day. The mission of Mighty Oaks is to eradicate the veteran suicide epidemic and help our warriors change their legacies. We've been able to help over 4,000 veterans and first responders by equipping them with the tools they need to live the lives they were created to live. Our faith-based, peer-to-peer approach has one of the highest success rates of any program available today, offering hope and understanding to those who need it most. By aligning their lives to biblical principles, these men and women are able to lead their families, their communities, and our nation. It's your generosity that can make a difference in the lives of the men and women who have fought for our country and our freedoms. Now that they're home, don't let them fight alone. Learn more at MightyOaksPrograms.org. Is life feeling chaotic? I get it. I'm Rachel Wojo, host of the Untangling Life podcast. Don't miss the passionate encouragement and faith-based resources you need to help you clear your head and calm your heart. As Shell says, it feels like Rachel always knows what I need to hear. She keeps it real and is so humble. Her podcast is just the cherry on top. Enjoy Untangling Life with Rachel Wojo on lifeaudio.com or your favorite podcast app now.